You're listening to Engage, the podcast for Delta pilots. Today's guest, Sean Kellett, Scheduling Committee Chairman, Frank Wedding, Scheduling Committee Vice Chairman, and special guest, Jessica McMahon, Chair of the Fitness Review Board. Here's your host, Ryan Argenta. Welcome back to another episode of Engage, the podcast for Delta pilots. My name's Ryan Argenta. I'm a Seattle 330 FO and a volunteer at the MEC Communications Committee. We've got another action-packed, busy episode today. This is part one of a several-part series on scheduling and fatigue rotation construction. And we're going to talk about some pretty controversial issues today with the subject matter experts. Quality of life for pilots is high on the list. We're in Section 6 negotiations. We're talking about quality of life. We've heard the feedback. The MEC has heard the feedback from the pilots and delivered that to the company kind of on deaf ears. Let's roll up our sleeves and jump right in. I've got Sean Kellett, the chairman of the scheduling committee, and Frank Wedding, the vice chairman of the scheduling committee. Welcome to Engage Podcast, fellas. Thanks for being here. Good to be here, Ryan. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. You bet. Hey, so here's a softball question. Scheduling committee, you've got the most real estate in the MEC building in Atlanta. You've got the most volunteers. You've got a huge chunk in the contract scheduling, Section 23. What exactly does a scheduling committee do for the pilot group? <laughs> I could probably talk for about 30 minutes just answering that one question. Just ask Frank. He'll tell you. We, we do a lot, and it's hard to narrow that down to a short answer because I have several subcommittees underneath the scheduling committee. We've got the Rotation Construction Committee. We have the Schedule Optimization Team. I have the, uh, the Preferential Bid System, the, the PBS Committee, the After Hours Support Network, as well as the Inquiry and Dispute section, which the ID section is what most people know us for because we're the ones that, that find the violations and, and get the money. But generically, um, what we do on the scheduling committee is we really help the pilots when the pilots reach a dead end with the company. So as a pilot, if a pilot thinks that he or she was harmed in some way, they were rerouted, for example, and they're due additional pay, or maybe they received an illegal assignment as a reserve pilot they think someone else should have. Really what the pilots should do is, is discuss that with the company first. They should go to crew tracking, crew scheduling, their chief pilot. And then if and when that pilot reaches a dead end, meaning they're getting answers, they're not getting answers that they're not getting answers they're comfortable with or they're inconsistent answers, then they come to us. So what ha what's supposed to happen is once they reach a dead end with the company, then they come to us and we actually advocate on behalf of the pilots. And most of that's transparent. So the pilots reach out to us. We say, hey, we've got it. And we go do a ton of research. Oftentimes it will take us several hours, if not um, a couple of days for one pilot for us to do the research for that. And we will build a package that we submit to the company. That's, we call that a, a dispute. And we submit a dispute on behalf of the pilots to the company for whatever it is. It might be legal, but just do additional pay. It may be illegal. We submit this package to the company. They review it. They give us their answer back. Nearly 100% of the time they agree with us. And they say, you're right. And they pay the pilot. And then we reach back out to the pilot and say, Here, here's what uh, the company agreed with us. Here is the, the pay treatment. Here's the paycheck you're going to see that on. Uh, and here's the time card that was applied. Every now and then that doesn't happen. We reach what's called an impasse with the company. And then we have great relationship with the, the contract administration committee. So we will take that, what we filed as a dispute, and we will help that pilot walk through the grievance process and hand that off to uh, the contract administration committee. But the, generally, our job is to advocate on behalf of the pilot when they are no longer able to advocate for themselves. Okay, so it sounds like 
uh, there's two sides to this, this coin, right? You have the day-to-day, -day, I'm working rotations, I'm getting rerouted, I'm getting extended, or issues that pilots have beforehand. And when we always say fly first, grieve later, with a couple of, of exceptions, which we'll get into. But it sounds like the scheduling committee and the grievance process is, is an after effect of I've been mistreated or something has happened and and the compensation or the whatever it is to rectify has not happened. And I've tried that through my own means. Now I need to go to scheduling and you go through your back channels to rectify the situation. Is that a good summary? Yeah, that's a great way to put it, Ryan. We are here. It, it, if it is an exception to the fly now, grieve later, which like you said, we'll get into a little bit of that later. But those are the times that we step in real time, because what that means is that the pilot's certificate may be in jeopardy if, if that happens. So we have avenues to deal with things real time. And on the, in the committee itself, we have a, a Delta MEC FAR 117 hotline that is uh, staffed 24 7, 365. So a pilot just needs to call 1 800 USA Alpha. And they will get one of the, anybody, my volunteers or my staff members that everybody is trained in FR 117. So they can get real-time help 24-7, 365. If they believe there is an impending 117 issue, they just have a question about it. We always tell the pilot, set the brake, don't move the airplane until you figure it out. Because there's no such thing as an emergency takeoff. But for everything else, yes, what, what you're saying is accurate. We were really created, the scheduling committee, to, we're not so much preemptive unless it's borderline illegal as far as FAR 117 and the pilots can potentially jeopardize themselves. We, we are more uh, reactive after the fact. If the pilot is unable to resolve it uh, themselves, then we, we handle things as quickly as we can. So right now, Frank will talk to this, but we have a, a huge backlog just because there's so many pilots that send us typically more than on average, more than a hundred inquiries per day, which is incredible. We've never increased at, at that amount ever. So it's near impossible for us to handle anything that's uh, real time, unless it's an FAR 117. And then everybody drops everything. As soon as that phone rings, whoever the, it is, the first to the phone will pick that up. But every, everything else is really in arrears. We, we do things as quickly as we can, but most of the time the pilot has already flown that rotation and we, it was either a PWA violation or their due additional pay. So we're getting that fixed in arrears, but not, not proactively. All right. That makes sense. And so I'll say it again, 1-800-USA-ALPA. Is that the number? That is correct. Yep. 1-800-USA-ALPA, no matter where a pilot is, 24-7-365, they can call 1-800-USA-ALPA. And that is a Delta specific, it's called the Delta MEC FR-117 hotline, which is different than the ALPA national safety hotline. They're, they're two different things. And safety is really just for that, for safety issues. But if it's an impending FAR question, pick up the phone and call. Um, and someone's going to be, the, someone that, that is fully trained in FAR 117 is going to be at the other end of that phone line. And that's the, I'm going to use the word danger for lack of better words, but sometimes it's a fair uh, word to use. If you call the company, a lot of the times the people you talk to, for example, the duty pilot, they're great people trying to do great things, but they're not trained in FAR 117. So a lot of the people you're going to call Pilot assists. They are great people, do a lot of great things for the pilots. They're doing great things for us. They're not trained in FR-117. The crew schedulers are, but their training has been truncated because they are, they're so short-staffed and, and things like that. So just trust but verify is really what I'm trying to say, but it's just like asking a pilot about investment recommendations. Just be leery of that. that yeah, that's uh, every captain I've ever flown with is uh, a genius of investment. Just, just, just ask him, they'll tell you. Yeah. You don't even have to ask them. They'll just tell you. 
in our, our last episode, we touched on some negotiations. We touched on fatigue. That was brought up by the MEC chairman, by Chad Smith and negotiating. And so this episode is one episode in a series of three, which is going to deal with scheduling. And frankly, the pilot group is overwhelmed with rotations that are difficult to fly and they're legal, but they're just not practical. They're fatiguing. And the overwhelming response that the MEC has received is we're fatigued. We're tired. The background here is the union gave the company 90 days to improve rotations through very specific metrics. We're approaching that 90 day limit. There has not been any significant improvement in rotations. And so what we're touching on in this episode is rotations and fatigue, right? And so while the, the things are happening in the background between management and the MEC, what we're trying to get to is how can scheduling, how can the FRB, how can they help the pilot group and how can pilots help themselves when they're in the heat of the moment or when they are fatigued? So that's where we're, we're going here in part one. We're going to get into other things in parts two and three, such as Arcos and green slips and, and kind of the fun stuff, right? The sexy stuff. This is, we're tired. In fact, the MEC and the pilot group is picketing over fatiguing rotations on March 10th at the Atlanta airport. And you guys can go into that if you'd like. What I want to ask, and, and this can go to both of you really, but what are you seeing? What are the biggest issues that you're seeing and complaints from pilots at the moment? Yeah, I'll add my uh, comments and then I'll ask Frank to pile on because I know he uh, he has some good information on this as well. And also when the RCC talks, they're, they're also going to have some good input as well. So from a higher level, they're, they're, I agree and I think you won't find anybody that will disagree that the rotations are worse now than they've ever been. And, and har the hard part is uh, defining what is bad, defining what a good rotation is, what a bad rotation, because you ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different answers. So that is certainly uh, difficult at best to determine. Some pilots love red eyes. Frank is a good example. He would fly every red eye that he could. I'm gentlemanly. I like taking off in the daylight and landing in the daylight. So everybody has a different perspective on what's good and bad. But in general, I think everybody would agree that more layover time is, is better than less. More rest is better. More commutable is better. I, I don't think you're going to get many people that will disagree on those types of things. And what we're seeing is certainly, and, and we, we track all of this and it's on the RCC's website, we see significant degradation, certainly in the narrow body fleets. Even over the last 90 days, and the 90 days has expired, we've seen significant degradation in certain areas. Now, the, the company has made improvements in others, mostly uh, on the fatigue side, and, and Jessica uh, can speak better to this than I, but they have actually made a, a, some improvements, but I would argue, and most would argue that they're not necessarily improvements, they're really the baseline where we should have been in the first place. They, they, it's, you can't start from garbage and improve there and say, look, they're good, they, they should have been there in the first place, but the, certain parts of the company's trying, but there are a lot more things that go into why the rotations are bad right now than I think the pilots understand. And it's not an excuse. It's not a reason, but it's good to understand. And I'll just give a couple. There are many. One example is first and foremost, network drives this, this company, right? Network are, are the ones that, that divvy out the block hours every month. They're the ones that build the flight segments and they hand this giant bowl over to the fleet planners and say, here you go, build some rotations with it. And then they put it into the optimizer, which I know we'll talk to and, and they tweak a whole bunch of hundreds of different numbers. 
And the whole point of the optimizer is a zero sum game. It's, it's trying to save as much money as it can by reduce the credit. And it does so by chiseling away, chipping away at our quality of life, meaning shorter layovers, less credit, more block time, more block time per day, less commutability, things like that. So that's what the optimizer does. But there are other things that are involved as well. At, just as an example, Delta right now, they can't get enough people on the line. They can't get enough people to clean the restrooms. They can't get enough bag throwers. So there, there are these, and there, there are many different examples and I won't bore you with them, but there are all these different secondary and tertiary issues that force, for example, uh, one of the many questions we get is why do I have a three or four hour sit in wherever, Atlanta, in Salt Lake City. And what I just talked about where they can't hire enough people to clean the airplanes and throw the bags and things like that. So now they're creating these things called pods are called pods where they travel around the airport now and in Atlanta let's say that pod's going to go to the A terminal and they're going to clean airplanes and if if you pull in after the pod's been to A terminal well they're going to go to B C D E and F before they come back to T and they get to A there there are a lot of issues that drive some quality of life degradation in these rotations but overall I agree they they're not um they're worse than they've ever been that that's an interesting point because I didn't know about the the pods. Obviously, we're aware of staffing issues across the board, but I don't think pods and toilet cleaners are affecting my reroute, my extension, max FDPs with minimum rest, recovery obligation, double recovery with IROPS. All these things that we're getting feedback from the line where the pilots are saying we're tired. Oh, but uh, Ryan, it does. Yeah, it does. It absolutely affects that because I'll give you I'll give you the perfect example. The optimizer is a zero-sum game. As Sean already said, it looks to keep the, the pilots from gaining any more money, if you will. So in the case with the pods, if you've just flown into Atlanta and it knows that the pod is supposed to be at a terminal to do uh, all the cleaning and then it moves on and it takes an hour to get back or an hour and a half to get back to a terminal, your scheduled arrival time is at X. You now will have a delayed sit time, an extended sit time. So the system, the optimizer will calculate that delayed sit time in there. So if your sit time goes from one hour to two hours, now, because it's a zero sum game, it's got to collect that money back from somewhere. So it may reduce your rest time. It may reduce other factors down the road that you're not initially seeing because you're seeing that, oh, I just got a two hour. The reason you have a two hour sit is not necessarily because of the company. The common perception is the company loves to use us as standby reserves while we're in the middle of a rotation for reroutes. I won't agree or disagree with that sentiment, but what I will say is other factors, external factors outside of the pilot's control are having a direct correlation to the uh, quality of the pilot's rotations. Okay, so when we talk about the optimizer, I think of a, a sim simplified solution here, right? So it's uh, a guy sitting in a room in front of a computer and he has all these levers and he's pulling the lever saying, no credit for a pilot, minimum rest, maximum. We're cogs in a wheel. Delta's trying to run an airline. We get that. But I feel like with all these levers that can be pulled, can't the company make simple choices can't they make simple de decisions that will help the pilot group be less fatigued we're giving them the feedback and there just doesn't seem to be any change can't they change the le the levers of the optimizer i the short answer is absolutely they can the the people that can move those don't have the authority to for most of the levers because the number one purpose of the optimizer 
is to reduce cost as much as possible, which means reduce the amount of credit that is in that rotation, which means longer duty days, shorter layovers and, and things like that. So can they? Absolutely. In the RCC, we were lucky enough, we were able to coordinate with, with the company and have them sit with the fleet planners and actually look at the optimizer software and hundreds and hundreds of different we call them levers, but levers that you can pull and, and different things that you can program. In the company, we've asked what levers they would allow us as a union to, to change. And they've been respectful of that request. And, and the RCC can talk more about what levers they're allowing us to pull. But as fleet planners as well, they are at, at the end of the whip, if you will, just like we are. And they oftentimes do not have the authority to change many of those levers either. So yes, they, they could, if they wanted to, they could they could say, we want every rotation to have 10% credit in it. And man, I tell you, quality of life would be great on all the rotations, most of them. But of course, the company's not going to let that happen because that, that would drive cost up. So the answer is yes, they absolutely could. The software uh, is programmable and available for them to do, but the optimizers is, does just that. It's ma made to create more efficient rotations, cheaper, which the way to do that. And they're certainly not purposely, and I can say this. I'm the ultimate skeptic, but I will say this, they are not purposely targeting quality of life, but the way for the optimizer to create the most efficient rotation is to reduce our quality of life, even though that's not what it's targeting, but that's how they make efficient rotations. Sure. That makes sense, but we're on the receiving end and, and we're also the, the pilot union. So right. and, and if you don't mind, Ryan, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You did ask a question that I forgot to, to answer. And that is what are the pilot's tools? When he or she gets a rotation, they're like, this is just absolutely ridiculous. And this is probably better answered by, by Jessica on the FRB. But from a scheduling perspective, the pilot, not only is it good that they would call in fatigue, it is a, it, it's a requirement. It's their legal obligation to call the company, call the duty pilot and let them know if they are fatigued, if they're unfit for duty. So those are their tools for that. If they get some type of rotation that is fatiguing and, and certainly if it's dangerous and again, dangerous is subjective. You ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different definitions of it. And Frank and I advocate every single time a pilot thinks that rotation is fatiguing, fill out an ASAP. It will never hurt anybody to fill out an ASAP. Those are the pilot's tools are you call in fatigue or unfit for duty. You don't move that airplane. You don't report for that duty period, whatever it is, you stop the operation and, and let the company know. And the good thing is that the pilots are paid protected now. Automatic, they're automatically paid protected if they do utilize that tool. And I mentioned it, but I'm going to say it again for effect. It is the pilot's legal obligation to report that to the company. The, the hero syndrome or whatever we call it, where the pilots, we see it time and time again, where ASAPs will say, I felt an obligation to those 200 passengers not to, to keep them stranded at an airport while I went to a hotel for 10 hours. That's not the right answer. You, you just put your certificate in jeopardy because you broke the law, you had a legal obligation to not continue for that day. Just getting the pilots comfortable with that. And from the scheduling perspective, FRB and flight time duty time might be a little bit different, but from the scheduling perspective, I think I have seen far more pilots utilizing those tools recently than in the past. I think pilots are becoming more comfortable and recognizing that the rotations are so bad uh, that they don't, they no longer have that obligation to, to move those 200 passengers on, even if they're super tired, they're actually doing the right things down is what I see. We're going to get into that with Jessica McMahon of FRB. And that's the, the segment at the end of this show. 
We're getting hundreds of complaints a day from pilots. The feedback that the MEC is getting from pilots is also in the hundreds per day via the DART system. So the scheduling committee meets with the company quite regularly. In fact, you have a meeting with them tomorrow. Is the company receptive to our pilot needs or are they receptive to the feedback that you're delivering to them? They are. And if they do something with our inputs are obviously two different things, but they're very receptive. And just like the RCC is at the end of the whip, the, the fleet planners are as well. The fleet planners truly, they truly understand our concern and why we're upset. Mo and believe it or not, for this entire airline, there are only four fleet planners for the entire airline. There's four people. So it's incredible that yeah, there's four people that do this as a full-time job for the entire airline. And they're good people. They're, they're trying to do good things, but they have their marching orders from their bosses and they have the rules and the optimizer. And at the end of the day, what the pilots truly need to understand, I think most are understand this, but the newer ones may not. There is zero contractual language for the rotation construction committee. RCC has zero contractual language. So everything that the RCC is able to do, or every time that they go over there every month, and I'll talk about our, our recurring monthly meetings with them, it, it is merely a request. And some of the fleet planners accept our requests and are able to make those inputs and those changes. Most of the time they're not, because there is no contractual language that forces them to do so. We're not their boss. Their boss is their boss. And so they're like, listen, I got to do what my boss is telling me to do. This is obviously a problem. It's very difficult to fix a problem when there is no contractual language for us to do. Now, I'm going to just hit real quick on the recurring meetings. The RCC just met in the RCC and the flight time duty time committee meet a day prior to then those two committees go over to the company and meet together with the fleet planners. So it's typically the last week of, for example, the last week of January, they just met to discuss the March bid packages before it published, before they publish those in on DeltaNet and in iCrew. And they go through... The RCC is strictly quality of life and the flight time duty time is regulatory and they're all about safety of flight and fatigue mitigation and things like that. So you have two very passionate committees that are talking about quality of life, safety, fatigue, mitigations, and things like that are, are in that meeting every single month advocating on behalf of the pilots. So to, to say that we have outstanding SMEs every month meeting with the pilot is an understatement because they're great professionals and they've been doing this for a long time. But as I said, it's very difficult. They can advocate as much as they want. And the company can look at us and say, yeah, but we don't have to do that because there's no contractual language. Now, the safety stuff, again, I, I'd prefer the Jessica speak to that as far as the fatigue mitigations and things. But the company, my understanding is the company is very good at incorporating a lot of the fatigue mitigations and safety mitigations. But what typically falls off the radar is the, the quality of life stuff. That, that typically comes last. Understandably so. If it's a balance of safety and quality of life, safety's always going to come first. We need stronger contractual language in scheduling, but also for the RCC, for the rotation construction is what I'm hearing. And I know you also work with the negotiating committee. So how do you present your feedback to the negotiators, to the MEC? We're in section six negotiations. Scheduling is a big chunk of what they are about to negotiate and quality of life is important to the pilots pay and other things are as well, but quality of life, the company's going to start losing the goodwill of the pilot group if they keep abusing us, right. And abusing the system and frankly, abusing the 
the PWA, the contract. So how do you deliver that feedback and what do they, what does the MEC do with it? Let me unpack that backwards. So we, Frank and I, and Mr. Dwayne Davis, who's our contract liaison, has been working for us for about 52 years. We are the three SMEs, the subject matter experts that are with the negotiating. Anytime we're talking section 412 or 23 and, and quite frankly, a lot of the other sections as well, because there's a, a lot of scheduling creep and, and overlap into other sections of the contract as well. We are the SMEs that sit for hours and days with the negotiators and help solve a lot of these problems, come up with contractual language based off of what the direction is from the MEC, what the best way forward is and different options and different ideas. In fact, we, Frank and I just spent the last three days with the uh, negotiators all day for the last three days. And then we're planned for uh, two days next week. And then we're going into negotiations with them uh, the week of the 22nd or 23rd of February with them for, for section 12. So we are in there every step of the way, how we get our marching orders. And it's important for the pilots. Most pilots, I think do understand this, but for the ones that don't, when we, when a pilot reaches out to us, they'll send us emails or ACE inquiries and, and they have really good feedback about, I won't call it complaints. Uh, I'll just call it really good feedback about whatever it's about the reroutes, it's recovery flying, it's fatiguing rotations, whatever we 100% of the time always say, we, we agree with you, by the way, that's, it's great, but the process starts with your local, your LEC reps. So go to your local council representatives and cut and paste this email, send it to them, or go talk to them in person. They do lounge weeks every month. Go talk to your LEC reps because your LEC reps are the ones that make up the MEC. And then the MEC is the one that gives us, the body gives us direction to go to the company. The direction is our marching order to what we're going to change what we're going to seek, what we're going to achieve. So that's the flow. It's a truly a bottom-up organization. So I, I always ask the pilots and, and especially the ones that are on Facebook talking, I said, that's great input, but please also send this to your, your local reps because that's how the entire process starts. So I'm a line pilot and I have a fatiguing rotation. My action, I call in fatigue. I call the duty pilot. We're going to talk to Jessica about that when we come back, but I call in fatigue. I have a FAR 117 question mid rotation. I'm in the seat. I have a problem. I call 1-800-USA-ALPA. I am now bidding for March and I don't like any of these rotations. Uh, they all look terrible. So now I submit feedback to my rep, to my local rep. I email that person. I email my rep and I say, here are my complaints. I'm tired. I'm fatigued. That goes to my local rep, the rep feeds it to the MEC, the MEC directs the negotiating committee, which will hopefully get me contractual improvements to make my quality of life better. It'll improve. And then I want to bring this up and I'm going to go to Frank because I want to hear from Frank. I want to talk about the ACE for Union app. There are two things that we've talked about. There is an ACE app, right? Which is, we all know that if you bust an altitude or you make a mistake or you have some sort of Safety-related uh, feedback or complaint, you file an ASAP, which is on DeltaNet, and we all we know that channel. But then there is an ACE application, an ACE app, and it's called the ACE for Union app, which is directly related to the scheduling committee. Frank, tell me about the ACE for Union app. Sure. So ACE itself stands for Automated Contract Enforcement. Basically, what it does is we take the rotations, we scour through the rotations, and we look at every reroute, we look at every contractual section that we have coded for right now, 
And um, we determined whether the pilot had legal reroutes versus illegal reroutes, legal recovery versus illegal recovery type of things. What the ACE tool does, ACE for unions application, is it allows the pilot, instead of having to sit down at a computer, instead of having to worry about logging on, download the app onto your phone, whether it be iOS or uh, an Android phone, and you can submit a report to the scheduling committee directly through that app. The days of saying the report got lost in the mail, they're over because as soon as you click submit on your app, you will always see the status of that report from the time you've created it to the time you've closed it. Now there are some delays. Obviously right now we have 1300 reports in the queue. The more pilots we get on the app, the more successful the app is. We're a product of our own success in a way and we're busier than we've ever been. So we have 1,300 reports in the queue, and we work them on a date of incident. Very shortly in the next release or two, you will see an inquiry section as well as a report section. So if you have questions about a future rotation, hey, I think this rotation may be built illegally, you can submit the inquiry to us, and that's basically like a messenger. It's not an immediate response, but it is definitely not the delay that the report will take, it's, but it is to be used for future events and not things that have already happened. So we're constantly upgrading the Ace for Unions app. It is primarily a scheduling tool. However, training does use it. Hotel committee does use it. Our security committee uses it as well. And there are going to be some exciting upgrades coming within the app over the next couple of months. Awesome. And how many pilots have downloaded the Ace for Union app? Right now we're at about 8,000 pilots of the 13,000. So our goal is to get everybody on the Ace for Union just because for it's for more efficient communication e either way, because by getting on the Ace for Union's app, if you have a question about the report we're doing, you can send us a message in through that report and we will answer it through that report. If we've told you the company has said something or we need more data from you, we need more information. We can communicate with you inside of that app as opposed to trying to have to send emails back and forth and, and having delayed response. Yeah, I want to use a personal example of the Ace for Union app. So I, I was awarded a green slip. There were some issues with that. It ended up not operating. I had a question about it. I opened the app on my phone. I screenshotted the rotation and the changes. I uploaded it. I wrote a message. I fired it off. And within about three days, I had to go back into the app. That's how you check the status. So you go back into the app and I had a message from uh, a volunteer that explained. And here's the, the funny part. He said, this is actually contractual. The company did the right thing. They can change the, the green slip and, and you don't receive pay. But we went backwards and realized that you were passed over for another green slip. So they went through the back channels, found another green slip that I was passed up on. And I was uh, compensated appropriately that I had no idea even would have happened. So that's a great benefit of the Ace for Union apps. And I think uh, last year, from the time period, 1 April to December, using the app, we recovered, with pilot assistance, we recovered 11,500 hours. We had approximately 9,000 reports submitted to us by the pilots. And that's just from April through December. We have numerous uh, reports that we're sifting through, numerous more auto ID detections that we're sifting through. And as the violations become known to us through the auto ID, we are submitting those to the company for payment. Okay, great. The Ace for Union apps, 8,000 pilots have it. We have 13,723 on property. 
everybody needs to download this app through the Apple App Store, Android. Download it. It's easy. If you download the app and you're unsuccessful or you believe your email address to be wrong, you can send us an email at ace at alpha.org. I will give you a call and ensure everything is um, correct for you, correct email address, and I will ensure you are set up properly. Okay. Thanks, Frank. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I've got Jessica McMahon, the chairman of the Fitness Review Board. We've got Sean Kellett, the chairman of the Scheduling Committee, Frank Wedding, the vice chairman of the Scheduling Committee. You've got questions. I want answers. Back in 30 seconds. Engage Podcast wants to hear from you. Send us your questions through the MEC DART system at dart.alpa.org. You have questions. We want answers. You're listening to Engage, the podcast for Delta Pilots. I've got Jessica McMahon, the chairman of the Fitness Review Board. The title of today's episode, Got Fatigue. And we've got Jessica here to talk on it. So let's get dirty. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. We've talked a lot about uh, scheduling and rotations. Some of the feedback we've gotten just sounds like the pilots are in general fatigued. They're tired. Quality of life has dropped off to really an all-time low for Delta pilots. And you're kind of in the thick of that, right? You see all the fatigue reports. Uh, you meet with the company. You talk to them about these fatiguing things. You collect all the data and you present it to the company. First question is the company responsive to our needs in terms of fatigue? That's a great question. I go back and forth with this. Sometimes I think that my role, first of all, is to read the reports and to guide pilots through the process of cohen fatigue. So I've kind of, I'm seeing the end of it after everything's happened and the, the dust settles that they actually call it fatigue. Clearly the numbers are up and I feel the company is citing specific IROPs that are happening or the fact that, you know, that all fatigue calls are paid is a reason that the fatigue calls are up. I think their focus is on encouraging pilots to call in fatigue when they are in fact fatigued and keeping the schedules the way they are. They're trying to tweak them here and there, but I don't think that the big picture, I don't think that they've made a seismic change in the schedules. Their focus is let's just keep pushing these out and then keep paying the fatigue calls and just let's see how this goes. So is it fair to say that the company will continue to abuse pilots? I believe that's the, the trajectory. Absolutely. You brought up, you'll get paid for a fatigue call. That falls under MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, MOU 2002, which was negotiated a couple of years ago now. What's the skinny on that? Tell me. All right. MOU 2002 came out in May of 2020. There's a lot going on. It was missed by a lot of pilots because, they're, well, 2020. It changed uh, a lot in the fatigue processes and the number one most important change that happened was that now you will get paid for your fatigue call. Over 99% of pilots calling fatigue Delta Airlines are paid. If you are calling fatigued before you start your trip and the cause of your fatigue is not the operation. So for instance, you're at home, you don't sleep well. Let's say that a storm rolled through and it kept you awake all night at home. You call Delta, you call the duty pilot to say that you're fatigued. They take you off the first part of your trip, rejoin you if possible. And that portion that is missed is paid from your sick mate without any look back. That's a game changer that we are able to now tap into sick mate to pay for fatigue calls. That was the number one change. Uh, number two, the fact that 
you will get paid. Before, back in the olden days, um, years ago, if you were fatigued, you, you get a call from the chief pilot, he'd ask you to explain why you were fatigued, and then he would decide, or she, whether or not you'd get paid for that portion of the flying that was missed. Now, with MOU 2002, it guarantees rotation or reserve pay. So if you call in fatigued in the middle of your trip, for whatever reason, the portions of flights missed are paid or guaranteed pay. That's the biggest change. What about extensions? Does that fall under there? No longer required to fill out any paperwork to de decline an extension. So I'm on a rotation. I'm approaching my FDP limit. The company will ask, right? It's a mutual question and answer. The company will ask, will you extend another two hours or so? And a pilot is not required to extend and you're pay protected regardless, correct? That's correct. That's also changed. They used to assume that you would extend. Now they have to ask if you will extend, which is how it should have been all along. But yes, and if you decline an extension, there's no questions asked, no paperwork required, and you are paid for what you would have. I mean, you're not going to lose pay because of it. That, that's a pretty big win in the MOU. And like you say, that's the way it should have been all along, right? Absolutely. And, and I'd like to note too that before when you had to decline extension, you were forced to fill out an FFDR, fitness for duty report, in order to get paid for that ex extension decline. And so the numbers, when you compare our fatigue numbers in 2021, we're comparing them to 2019 because 2020 really didn't happen, right? So in 2019, you had to fill that out. And it's estimated 40% of those fatigue calls were actually not even really fatigue calls. Those, those were just pilots saying, I don't want to extend. So with that in mind, our numbers are double, sometimes triple what they were in 2019. To make sure I'm getting this right. So the fatigue numbers are double or triple what they were in 2019, pre-COVID. However, in 2019, we were required to fill out paperwork, which triggered data, right, for fatigue. So 40% of the fatigue calls in 2019 were actually declined extensions. So now in 2021, these are real hard fatigue calls, double, triple what we saw in 2019. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm actually just looking at our numbers. In December of 2019, we had 107. So if you take 40% out, let's call it 60 something. December of this year, we had 220. So it's much higher. Do you feel that we're enabling, I suppose if you could say that when we don't call fatigue, when we push through, when we're in that hero mode, Sean brought up we're, a lot of us were in the military. A lot of us were in the regionals and we pushed the mission. We pushed for the sake of the passengers or for the sake of getting home on go home day. Would you say that pilot behavior is enabling the company's behavior? Absolutely. Uh, compared to our peers, we are calling the fatigue much less. We can't say that their schedules are much better. I think about this a lot. Our Delta pilots are familiar with the program. They just haven't called in fatigue and that's why they're not calling fatigued. Or do they think that they just push through it? And do they realize fatigue is an option? I, I, I wonder this all the time because the numbers aren't comparable to our peers. That being said, I'd say over the last six, seven months, the tone and tenor of the reports has become increasingly more aggressive, almost angry, sometimes like a cry for help. We're reading stuff from pilots, you know, my 25 year career at Delta Airlines, I've never seen schedules like this. I didn't want to have to call in fatigue, but I can't do it anymore. They are at their breaking point for their calling fatigue. When you sign that release, you are saying, I am fit for this flight. 
So to get to that point where you're almost in like desperation is, is too far. I would hope that we learn as a pilot group to recognize fatigue and to know when uh, enough is enough and we need to call it and, and set the parking brake and just get some rest. Well said. So with all this data, you meet with the company, there's ongoing discussions. I know you meet in conjunction with scheduling and flight time, duty time. How do you make the company accountable with hard, measurable solutions for change? Oh, that's a million dollar question. As our role is the FRB, we are really reading the reports and keeping track of the trends and most importantly, discussing with the company the pay outcomes. The FRMT uh, and the RCC, those, those committees have the front end where they can hopefully help the company to build better schedules. Lisa Nidal is going to be speaking with you, I think, in the next week or so, so she can give you some more de detail on that stuff. I, I think that the problem is that the ultimate problem is that there's too much flying. There's too many block hours. There's not enough pilots. It's a staffing problem. So until we can balance the staffing with the amount of flying, there is no solution. There's nowhere to put this flying. Someone's got to do it. And they are just trying to make it happen because it's working so far, because we're doing it. We are making the decision for them by saying, oh, this is a lot, but we'll do it. This is a lot, but we'll do it. It's perpetuating the, the problem. Yeah, I see that. And, and I feel that right out on the line. You want to go home. You want to move uh, two, 300 passengers. You don't want to be the, the disappointment. So we get it. And I understand there's a staffing problem perpetuated by a lot, but it's understandable that Delta Airlines is trying to run an airline. They're trying to make money. They're trying to capture the market. We get all that. We want to be a part of it. We're happy to, right? They're trying to solve the staffing problem. They're hiring 250 pilots a month. But in the meantime, the, the pilots who are trained, the pilots that are on property, it's almost like they're going to lose, the company's going to lose the goodwill of the pilot group because they're pushing so hard. And we saw this in the summer of 2019 when they, they quote, ran the operation too hot, right? Times were good. This is pre-pandemic. They just filled an incredible schedule over the summer, staffed in on green slips and more. And in the end, in the aftermath, they said, well, we pushed too hard. We won't do that again. But here we are two years later, and they are. They're pushing hard. They're pushing again. And the, it's up to the pilot to say enough is enough. Absolutely. I agree with all that you said. And I, I believe too, that the, the problem with the message that the company is sending out to the pilots over the last several months is that we are making improvements. The message is we are changing things for you. We are making this better. And then it's like, see, they're better. You can't tell pilots that their schedules are better when they're out there and they're the ones feeling it. They're not better. And it's not getting better. It is, we had 90 days to see some improvements. And whether or not the leaves they made improvements, the pilots aren't feeling it. We read it all the time, you know, 117 is a limit, not a goal. They're trying to find a place for all this flying and we're doing it. Okay. I want to go to a myth and rumor, so to say, about calling in fatigue. A lot of pilots question what happens. I've called in fatigue. What now? And a lot of the feedback that we've gotten is, okay, yeah, I know I called the duty pilot, but. If I'm on my last day of a rotation and I have four legs, as fatiguing as they are, I'm just going to push through 
so that I can get home on time. I, I have kids, I have dinner plans, I have a date, whatever it may be. And we all kind of understand that's, that's the wrong call, but let's walk through a call to the, to the duty pilot, a call for fatigue. First of all, 95% of the time, you're not going to talk to anybody or hear anything except an email from the company after you've filled out your report. Okay. And, and I know both from experience and from feedback, the duty pilots have been wonderful when it comes to fatigue. They, they don't ask any questions. They don't push. They accommodate the pilot. They're pilots themselves. Is that still true? Yes. So let's walk through this. I'm on, uh, let's say I've just flown a red eye. I arrived in Salt Lake City at 6 a.m. I have a day over and then I'm going to fly one leg at 10 p.m. to Atlanta. So I get in, I have all day, it's a long layover and I try to go to sleep. I can't get some rest, tossing, turning. So, okay, go throughout the day and now it's five or 6 PM and my body clock is just in, in reverse and I know I'm not going to get the rest that I need to fly that 10 PM leg. It's one leg, but I just can't, I can't do it. So I call the duty pilot. You're the duty pilot, Jessica. Okay. Ring, ring, ring. Hey, this is duty pilot Jessica. How can I help? Yeah. Hey, Jessica, this is Reiner Genta. I'm on rotation uh, A072. I am in Salt Lake City and I, I've got a call fatigue. All right. What time do you think you'd be ready to go back out? How much rest do oh, you need? I, I flew a red eye. I arrived in uh, Salt Lake at 6 a.m. I just haven't been able to get any sleep all day. It's now 6 p.m. I've got a 9 p.m. van to fly one leg to Atlanta. Frankly, I need to sleep through the night back on a normal schedule. Tomorrow, I have one leg back from Atlanta to Seattle. I'm happy to rejoin that if you can get me there. Otherwise, I need to sleep through the night. So I'll say that I'm ready for duty at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. Okay, I will put you into rest. I'm going to send you a form. I will talk to... Uh tracking for you. We'll see if it's feasible for them to rejoin you and we'll also coordinate, get you a room to put you back into rest and just sit tight and we will amend in your schedule. Okay. And if I miss that leg tomorrow, if you can't deadhead me to Atlanta and fly back in time, what's going to happen to me? You'll be released from duty. So the two options are you rejoined to your schedule or you're deadheaded home. Okay. Yeah. Th thanks for that. I'll call you back if anything else comes up. Otherwise, I'll look for the schedule change. All right. It's a last. Okay. Thanks, Jessica. I mean, that's pretty accurate to what a, a fatigue phone call sounds like and feels like, right? Absolutely. I mean, I only have a little bit of experience with it myself, but I've always felt supported and never felt questioned. And if there is any kind of pushback, you want to hear about it. If you get a call from a chief pilot, that's happened just a handful of times. We want to hear about it. That should not be occurring. Okay. If you had the full attention of the entire pilot group, what do you want them to know? What's your most important thing? What keeps you up at night? There's no reason to be out there flying fatigued. You're going to get paid. You are legally responsible to be fit for duty. And the passengers expect that. Delta expects that. Your other pilot expects that. So. Please make the right call, make the tough call, and don't put yourself out there. And, and, and if you do, if you find yourself that after your 
done with your trip and whatnot and you were fatigued, fill out a, an ASAP and say, wow, I shouldn't have done that. I questioned myself. I should have done that because Delta is data driven. So if you're out there flying on your whole schedule and fatigued and you just keep doing it, as far as they know, and as far as we know, all is well. So I'm not trying to tell you to call them fatigued. I'm just trying to tell you to not fly fatigued. You've heard it here. Jessica McMahon, chairman of the fitness review board. You've mentioned uh, a number of times we want to hear from you. We want to know, how do we do that? The FRB website, by the way, is really well organized. It's got a ton of information on there. It's a great resource for pilots. Is that where you want us to go? How do we get a hold of it? Yeah, that's the best way. There's also the DART system. If you just have a general question, there's five of us on the committee and we take turns responding to those questions. We get some basic questions and those are usually answered on the website too. So, and you know, one thing Ryan, I didn't mention that I'd like to interject as well. I've been reading these reports for three years and commonly the causes we'd see in the fatigue reports were we got delayed. We had some weather. We had to divert. We had a mechanical issue. We got rerouted. Those were Typical, another really big one, about maybe 25, 30% were the hotel um, housekeeping kept me up or they were partying in the, in the hallways and you're up all night. Well, that's shifted over the last seven, eight months to this schedule. This pairing is horrible. There's no chance to get recovery sleep. It's long days, short nights, or switching from a late schedule, the last day in early schedules, 50% of them now, I would estimate are talking about just the schedule itself. They're showing up to work and they're not even set up for success before anything else happens. It's not like, oh, we showed up to work and then we got delayed or then we had mechanical or what, these other things that you can't control, right? This is just the schedule itself. It's already bad. And sometimes nothing even happens. The schedule goes on as it was scheduled. There is no interruption. I want to add that to let the pilots know you're not alone. Like this is not in your head. The, this is what we are reading. This is what pilots are citing as the cause of their fatigue. It's the schedules themselves. This is like group therapy for pilots. I mean, <laughs> not alone. Let's all have a hug. Yeah, everybody needs a hug. We need some kindness. See and feel the gratitude. We need to be shown some love from Delta. Thank you for your time. We know FRB has our back. Don't fly fatigue. That's what the message that I got and uh, send the feedback. If the company doesn't know things are bad, then they continue on thinking that the pilots are happy. You've got to reach out again, Jessica, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Well, we certainly covered some hard hitting topics, some controversial topics and learned a lot to our guests, Sean Kellett, Frank Wedding of the scheduling committee, Jessica McMahon, fitness review board. Thanks for your time. Thanks for being here. Next episode, we'll cover part two of scheduling. We'll also check in with the MEC chairman and the negotiating chairman, Chad Smith, on negotiations. Thanks for listening. This has been Engaged, the podcast for Delta Pilots. My name is Ryan Argenta. Stay safe and keep the rubber on the road. You're listening to Engage, the podcast for Delta Pilots. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform and receive notifications when a new episode is available. But now.